You are listening to the Green Living Chat podcast brought to you by Equamed Solutions in Ghana. I'm your host, David. Here, we discuss emerging environmental issues in and around the world. We use this platform to promote environmental related projects. So stick around with us. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Green Living Chat podcast. My guest today is Philip Chermating, who is the environmental risk lead at Canal and River Trust in the UK. Philip is an environmental scientist with experience in environmental assurance and protection, solid waste and resource management. He has had a wide experience in water quality monitoring and ISO implementation and environmental science impact assessment. In our conversation today, we addressed several environmental challenges in Ghana and how we can find possible solutions to them. Our conversation covered areas of illegal mining which is normally known in Ghana as Galamse, as well as improper waste management challenges that we find within the country. I think this conversation will encourage people to know what is happening in the society and also develop business ideas that will bring both income and solutions to address the environmental challenges in the country. If we want to see change, it has to start from us, education among ourselves and communal action for change. But before we get into this episode, I want to let you know that this season two of the Green Living Chat podcast is coming to an end. A recap episode is coming up in about two weeks from now, and we would like to hear from you, our listeners. So why don't you share your thoughts on this podcast with us by audio or by writing, and we will read it out in the recap episode. I really can't wait for us to get into this discussion. So let's get into our conversation with Philip Chermatine. Hello, Philip. Thank you so much for making time for the Green Living Chat podcast today. It's Saturday where you are, and I really appreciate you making time. So you're welcome. Thank you, David, for inviting me to share my thoughts on environmental issues in Ghana and around the world. Yeah, really appreciate it. Yeah. It's, it's really an encouraging to see some of the things that you put out there. I've read several of your articles that you try educating people about things that you are very passionate about. And I think every time I see people, I meet people like this, it always encourages me to do more, even in the little path that I've started. And I just want to say that it's really encouraging, really, to see your passion and how you do everything with dedication. Oh, thank you for the motivation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So personally, it hasn't been a long time since I, I met you, but I'm very, very curious to know how you grew up and where your interest in sustainability came from. Uh, I know you're currently located in the UK. Can you tell us how the journey has been for you? Which school did you go to? And where did this interest and passion to save the world come from? <laughs> Thank you for the question. So I will start from my secondary education. I, I did my secondary education at Ukwari Secondary School in Kumasi. And I studied agricultural science. And I, the modules were physics, chemistry, mass, and agricultural science. And the reason why I chose agricultural science over biology was when I was in primary school and JSS, I was very good with the 
agricultural science. So I felt that was like my calling. Naively, that was what I, I felt and what I thought. So when I went to the university, I studied agricultural science. And right after university, I came to the UK. So in the UK, my first professional environment was working for environmental consultancy company. And I was supporting the senior consultants and directors with environmental impact assessment, preparing environmental statement for clients. So that's where I developed interest in the environment industry. So I decided to pursue MSc degree in environmental engineering at Cranfield University, and I specialize in solid and nuclear waste management. So from Cranfield University, my first professional job, I did a lot of placements in voluntary work in between. And my first professional job was at Coventry City Council, and I was waste and recycling officer there. I was there for almost three years. And from there, I went to Westminster University as a, contract, as a consultant, but it was more like a short-term contract to develop a recycling scheme for the whole university. Because if you go to Westminster University, they have different buildings in London. So the problem was when you go to building A, the recycling scheme there was totally from different from building B. So it was quite confusing for the students. And you know, it's an international university. People from all over the world are coming there to study. And imagine somebody coming from Ghana. The waste management there is totally different from the UK. And the person going to building A, seeing different recycling bins, going building B, seeing different recycling bin. It was very confusing because costing them a lot of money because of cross-contamination of recycling material. So their waste contractors were charging them a lot of money. So they employed me to create a uniform recycling scheme across all their buildings, about 22 buildings. Their lecture halls, hostels, etc., labs. And I was able to do that project within 10 months. So I realized I wanted to expand my knowledge and experience in the environment sector, more to go into water quality pollution, contaminated lands, air pollution. So I look into the market and I realized the Canning River Trust, where I am working as a lead environmental scientist, covering London and Southeast. I realized that's a better place for me to be able to learn more and acquire several skills. So I applied for a job there and I went for the interview that I had it. And I've been there for five years, four months now. Initially, when I started, I was covering only Southeast region. And now I'm covering London and Southeast region, a mall of environmental risk leader, looking at the environmental risk of all our infrastructural projects and various operations and coming out with mitigation measures, advising directors and head of departments and operational staff how we can mitigate risk and how we can also improve the environment. So that's my journey so far. And I've studied at Denmark Technical University. I did global environmental management postgraduate certificate there. And at the, at the moment, I'm also studying at the University of London, global energy and climate policy, because we know where the whole world is heading towards to the green recovery and the green revolution that the whole world is talking about. So I realized, okay, fine, even though I'm an environmental professional, but if I want to have more skills and understanding and how I can also contribute, I need further studies. So that's what I'm doing now at London University. So, so far, that's my journey. Thank you. You know, today we really want to talk a lot about some of the issues, environmental issues that are in Ghana. But before we just get a little bit deeper into those issues, I just want you to give us a brief background of what you're doing now, especially when it comes to your profession in your company. What are some of the activities and operations that you are involved in? Okay, thank you, David. I'm working for the Canning River Trust. And the Canning River Trust, we look at about 2,000 miles of rivers and canals, lakes, reservoirs, and natural and artificial water bodies in England and Wales. And we are national. 
So at the moment, I'm based in London and Southeast, and I'm the lead environmental scientist in the region. So all environmental issues in the region comes under me. We make sure all the projects that we are doing, we look at all the environmental risk and we develop and mitigation measures. We also do a lot of community work, trying to engage with the community to educate them about how the connection with nature can help their health and well-being. We also do a lot of voluntary activities. And what I normally do with my voluntary project is to recruit university students and especially masters and PhD students. At the moment, I'm working with an MSc student from Cranfield University. We have a problem with one of our rivers, and there is another river that is managed by the Environment Agency, and there is interaction between these two water bodies, and we are seeing some impact of one on another. So we want to find out what is really happening. If the ecological impact that we are seeing is as a result of the interaction of the two water bodies. So I've recruited a university student to do that research for me as part of his master's degree thesis. That's what I do. I've done it for about seven years now. I always work with university students as an opportunity for them also to acquire industrial skills. And it, it has been very, very helpful. I learned a lot from them and they also learn a lot from me. And we also, at the moment, we are also trying to come out with a system whereby most of our projects that we do in each region will connect to the people that we are serving. Because realize a lot of people don't understand the job that we do, especially managing rivers, canals, and reservoirs. They don't really understand. So at the moment, our focus is more of community work to get the community involved in what we are doing. So for the next two to three years, that's what I've been looking at, trying to get the community more involved with our projects rather than basing on, on the technical aspects because we are serving the community and we are a charity organization, the third largest charity organization in the UK. We are there to help people. Yes, we are there to help people. And I've got my own environmental consultancy. I started two years ago. And primarily, I'm providing service to small-scale industries like private organizations, managing their confidential waste if they want to carry out environmental impact assessment of a project or they want to look at environmental risk of their clients, what they are doing, there are risks involved. I go there to help them develop a proposal, develop a project for them, develop mitigation measures for them. We also have partnered with, with a friend who is more into ISO auditing, yeah, quality management system, environmental management system, risk, et cetera. And I've partnered with him and we, can, we do a lot of ISO auditing, environmental management system auditing for companies. Because sometimes a company, if you want to engage with potential clients, big clients, they want to look at your carbon footprint, what you are doing, to protect the environment. You need environmental management system in your company. And sometimes you need quality management system. You are providing services to pay quality management system. You need KMS. So we help them for them to get those status in their company. Sometimes if they want to get certified with an external organization, we help them to acquire the certificate to prove that they are able to demonstrate their environmental commitments or the KMS. We are providing a good service to their clients. And we're also providing confidential waste. Confidential waste is a waste that contains confidential details of people, their information. There is a way you manage it. You don't manage it like a normal controlled waste or solid waste that we know about. We are also providing services to those companies. But because of the COVID, we are not doing much. Most of our clients, because of COVID, has, COVID has impacted them a lot. So we are looking into the future if the pandemic, the impact of the pandemic start to fade. We are developing models 
behind the scenes that we hope that after the pandemic, we'll be able to get a lot of co contract from clients. And I also work for Solar Impulse Foundation. It's a, a foundation based in Switzerland. And what we do is we look for green technology, any technology out there that is trying to cut down CO2, that is trying to fight climate change. They apply for a label we call Solar Impulse label. And when they apply, the application will come to me or other experts and review it and we give it a score and we send it back to the head of the department or those who will be awarding the, so the label. And I've been with them for two years and some months now and I've assessed about 42 projects around the world, mostly in Europe and a few in North and South America. And at the moment, I'm trying to advocate that there are some technologies in Africa and Ghana as well that will qualify for the solar impulse label and to also give them the opportunity to get investment. And I've identified two companies so far. So I'm looking at helping them to acquire the label. This, this is very impressive. And I think that with this experience, you'll be the right person to have these kind of conversations with. So I would like to just give you some few statistics that we gathered from the International Development Research Center, the Council of Science and Industrial Research, Water Resource Commission of Ghana, EPA, and you know, all these renowned, reliable resource centers, right? We realize that there are a lot of waste management problems, water problems within, I wouldn't want to generalize it as Africa, but I just want us to focus more on Ghana since this was the reason why we wanted to have this conversation. We realize that about 73% of about 2.5 million metric tons of raw plastics that are, are imported to Ghana end up as waste. Of course, that's not a problem because people are consuming them. But unfortunately, about 95% of this waste that is generated are not recycled, which means that within Ghana, less than 5% of the plastic waste that are being generated is just collected and recycled. This is not to talk about, you know, the food waste and everything. We haven't even talked about segregation of waste. So it means that within the country, we are suffering or we are struggling with managing our solid waste. From your experience, I know that you've written a lot of articles to, you know, all the media platforms and you keep advocating and keep adding your voice to change. In your opinion, what are some of these factors that are contributing specifically to our poor waste management within the country? Thank you, David. Let me talk about plastic waste. Plastic waste is a very big problem. It's a very, very big problem. Even for the Western world, it's a problem for them. Because you are in the industry, you are aware of most of these advanced countries shipping plastic waste to developing countries. Yeah. It's all over in the news because even though with all their infrastructures, they are still struggling. So let's come to Ghana. One, the problem is awareness and attitude or behavior. Our behavior towards waste management is very, very, very bad. Or towards the environment as a whole is very, very bad. People don't see waste as a resource. Like me and you, we see waste as a resource. And people also don't understand when waste is discarded in the environment, what happens to the waste? Or even when the small, small waste management companies and the big ones, when they collect the waste from their house or their business premises, what happens to the waste? All this knowledge is not there. So people don't really care. And I'll move to our regulations and enforcement. We know on paper 
the EPA, the Sanitation and Water Resource Ministry, Ministry of Science and Environment, they've got all this on paper, but they are not implementing it. It's, it's also a very big problem. And our community, because environmental protection is a duty of care for everyone, not only the authorities, it's for everyone. If you come to the UK, one, if you go to good performing areas where waste management is excellent, yeah. first thing that you see is the education, the awareness. People understand that waste is a resource. They understand that when a waste management company collects their waste from their houses, it goes through a process. Some of them goes to the material recovery facilities where it gets sorted and it can be remanufactured or it can be used as a secondary resources. They understand it. So they make sure when they are disposing their waste, they will segregate the waste. Glass goes to this place. The general waste or the residual waste goes to this place. Organic waste goes to this place. They treat perfectly. And if you go to poor performing areas, regardless of the advanced infrastructures in place, still there is a problem. So let's, see, let's assume Ghana. We are able to get all the high-tech, state-of-the-art waste management infrastructures in place. And the behavior is still the same. The education and the awareness is low. It will not work. Exactly. Period. It will not work. So with our, with our problem, we have to start with education. Right from primary school to the secondary school level. To start educate people. For them to understand waste management. That waste is a resource. That when you discard your waste irresponsibly in the environment, these are the impacts on the natural and built environment on our health. So when people start to get all this understanding, then they will start to be responsible, duty of care. They will dispose their waste appropriately. Looking at the community, community helps a lot. If community champions come together, they will make sure the resident or the people there, they are doing the right thing. You can't just litter. Somebody will hold you accountable. It helps a lot. With our country, David, to be honest with you, you have to start with education and behavior before we even think about the advanced infrastructures or state-of-the-art waste management infrastructures. If the education is not there, it will not work, period. It's very important. I mean, I agree 100% with all the things that you have said. You know, there is this mindset of the people that if the waste is not in my house, if I throw it away, then it means the rest belongs to the government. I have heard a lot of people say this. And even just a couple of years ago, there were just huge floods in Accra. And some people were arrested just because they saw that the, the waters were coming. So they thought it was a good opportunity to dump all their waste into the water so that they can send it away. But what do you mean by away? If you're sending something away, it's going around to come back to you, to hurt you. So Exactly, exactly. I saw that video. I saw that video. Yeah, it's true. Because if they think it's the government's responsibility to manage the waste, once the waste leaves their premises or their house or whatever yeah it's wrong because let me give you an example in the uk when i was working at coventry city council we used to take data or record data on low performing areas especially if you put a food waste in a, your recycling bin yes. and when the operative they are out there to collect the waste in the seat they will leave it there they won't collect it even though you are paying your council task for us to use to manage your waste then they will they will bring the record to us one I will look at the address and I'll write to you. <laughs> yes, we'll write to you and let you know why your, your bin was left unemptied, this and that. And we explain to you and we give an opportunity to do the right next time. If it continues three times, they will never come to your house again to collect the waste. Or sometimes you can get fined. So what would this do? It will force you to be responsible. So you wouldn't say, okay, fine, I've paid my tax to the government. 
this is my waste. I dump it. Government, deal with it. No, no, no. Duty of care. And the duty of care starts with, with you, the person who generated the waste. You have duty of care to make sure the facilities provided will use it appropriately. And if you are a business organization, it's a duty of care to make sure the, the waste contractor who is collecting waste from you is licensed by the state to collect the waste. And yeah. it's a duty of care. You're responsible to find out what happens to the waste they've collected. You know fly tipping. Yeah. So one, my bulky waste, like refrigerator or furniture, you have to pay to get it disposed. It's not the responsibility of the local government. So one, okay, fine. I've got a refrigerator. I've got a bulky waste to dispose. I'll call a waste contractor to come and collect it for me and dispose it. The waste contractor will come. He will charge me, let's say, 50 pounds or 100 pounds. I pay to him and you go and dump it somewhere in a green space or on a roadside. And let's say my address is on one of the materials that they took away. What, what do you think will happen if the regulators or the enforcement agency found out what will happen? They are calling your address, yes. Exactly. And they will come to me and they will say, okay, Philip, we found this waste dump in a place that it wasn't supposed to be there. It wasn't properly disposed. What, what, what will I say? Also, oh, it's not my fault. I paid the contractor to come for it. Fine, you did it. Did you check the alliances? <laughs> I'll be in trouble. I'll, I'll either get fined or I'll even go to prison. So, wow. yes, as soon as a waste contractor comes to collect my waste, first thing I will check is the alliances. That the alliances to collect that waste. And I have to take an evidence of it. So if something happens to my waste, they don't dispose them responsibly. And they find out the waste is flight tip and they come to me. This is my evidence. I checked. I've done my duty of care as a waste generator. So one, I'm free. All these elements have to be introduced in Ghana for people to understand that once you generate the waste, you are part of the problem. You have duty of care to make sure it's managed appropriately. And we have to have enforcement agency to make sure this is working. And it's all start with education for people to understand. I don't know if to be honest with you with all the recently I, I saw in the news that Zoom Lion or most of the waste agencies they've come together and they sent a delegation to Rwanda to learn about how they manage their waste, their sanitation. And I was like, okay, I don't want to comment on it. Let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. I, I, the things you're talking about are very relevant and I really wish that the people who actually really need to hear these things will be listening. When you go to our company's website, Equamed Solutions, we have the section where we, we have written, do you know? These are few statements and statistics where we want people to just see at a glance and know the problems that we are facing and the reason why we are working. About 60% of our freshwater bodies are destroyed destroyed as in polluted and not to swim or probably drink from right and these things are mostly polluted because of illegal mining i recently saw that you published an article in one of the me on one of the media house platforms and i wanted to get your thoughts on this what are your general thoughts on this and what what was the content of this article that you published initially i wasn't paying much attention to the mining sector and social media right now being a good platform to know what is happening around the world. I saw in the news, Galamsey, Galamsey, and I started following the news and I realized there's a lot of pollution going on, land degradation going on. And I was like, ooh. So these people, they don't understand the pathway of organic pollutants 
or any pollutant at all whenever it relates into the environment. You don't, you don't they understand this? So I started following it up and I realized, no, something has to be done. At least if I can reach out to the authorities, I can write something. Two or three people read it, they will share and at least to help to educate the public. Reading and looking at the mine, the small scale mining industry, I realized they were using mercury a lot. And mercury is one of the most dangerous toxic compounds that we know. That's got a lot of health impact and environmental impact. And I was like, oh my God, let me look into this. Write an article, the impacts of mercury on our health and on the, on the environment. So that's how it was started from. And apart from mercury, there are a lot of other chemicals that are involved. Now, if you look at the state of our water bodies, it's, it's an eyesore and so sad that we are polluting our water bodies. Not only the surface water bodies, groundwater as well. People don't even understand in a certain part of the world, most of our their drinking water is groundwater. They don't have a lot of surface water that they can use or they can only depend on surface water. For, as a drinking water sources. And we are polluting ours. We are moving, we are polluting our ours. And our leaders are there, they don't understand the issues or they don't even care. And it's a big problem. Hi there, just a quick one. A bonus episode of my conversation with Philip Chermati where we discuss the things that I should have been told when I was in school. This bonus episode gives us a little bit details of how students can rightly choose their courses and the things that is really important for us to understand about the industry. So why don't you check this episode out after listening to this episode. Now let's get back into this conversation. So my thoughts on it now, going forward, what do we have to do? Exactly. We have to, we need a reformation of the whole mining sector, especially the small-scale mining sector. We know we can make it legal for people to operate fine. How do we do that? We need to reform the whole mining sector. Even if we have to take it under a different agency, a whole different agency to make sure it's working fine, then they will make sure they are managing the environment appropriately. Their activities, they understand the impact of the activities on the environment. What are the resources? What are the expertise they need to make sure their activities are not impacting the environment negatively? We have to do that. And now, we also have to look at now, we've polluted most of the water bodies. Yeah. Most of the lands are contaminated. What do we do? Are we going to leave them like that? No. We have to come out with remediation strategies how we are going to remediate the degraded land one are we going to restore them in such a way we can farm on it or we can use it for other purposes and based on those objectives we can come out with strategy or technology some of them are not expensive because i've gone to your website and i know you advocate for nature-based solutions wetlands etc some of them you just choose what you have nature to solve the problems and you don't need a lot of money to do that. So we have to also look at that. Are we going to restore the degraded lands? Are we going to clean the polluted water? What are we going to do about what are the methods that we need? We have to also look at all these things. And I don't know if they are going to do that because you need land for future generations. And we can't just continue to leave it there like that because you know, you, 
be environmental scientists or experts, you know that when a land is degraded, it can take millions of years or years, and still the toxic compounds will be there. One, let's look at pathway for pollutants. Some people who live in posh areas in Ghana, Accra or Kumasi, and all these mining activities are being done in the remote areas or rural areas. So fine, they think they are immune or it's not going to affect them. One, if you look at pathway of some of these compounds, some of them are through air, some of them are through water bodies, some of them are through soils. And trust me, it can get to them. They'll be surprised, especially fish in the water. One, somebody will fish a water, let's say in Takrade, and to be in Accra, <laughs> you are going to buy it. And this fish, they feed on this organic or chemical pollutants. Well, well, it by accumulates, and you too, you eat it, it will also affect your health. And some of them are also, the pathway is the air we breathe. Some of them also in the soils. And to get to farmlands, a farmer will harvest, take it to Accra, sell it to you. So nobody is immune. Nobody is immune to this galamsey. We are all going to be affected. Nobody, you, regardless of the distance, fine. If the pathway there, pollutant can't travel through the soil for let's say one mile, two mile, thousand mile, fine. It won't get to you, but it will get to the food stuff that we produce that you buy to feed your family. So no one is exempted. No one is immune to this. And no one is exempted. Thank you for your word. No one is exempted. So we have to be careful that okay, for media, me and my family, we live in let's say Trazago, East Lagon, we have we have crime, we, we don't care this rule No, 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 no. It will come to your doorsteps. Trust me, it will come. Because if you you understand partition and pathway of chemicals when they are released into the environment. Trust me, you wouldn't just sit down idle or sit on the fence unconcerned about all these issues. No one is exempted, everybody. And what I care most is our future generation. If we leave all this land that has been contaminated, we leave it like that and think Galamsey has stopped, the land is there, we move on. No, 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 no. The government has to come with a strategy, a whole project to make sure we are going to restore the land. We are going to restore all these polluted rivers, etc. You have to come out with a strategy. We can't leave it like that. I'm very glad that you started talking about these mitigation methods and some of the solutions. I'm not so interested about always talking about the problems, but we also have to try and give mitigation and you know possible solutions from the experts' own mouth so that we can know the way forward. You've already started talking about these things, but I want you to just generally talk about some of the solutions that we can adapt as a turning around point when it comes to especially, you know, our solid waste management. We've already talked about this illegal mining. You've already given the roles of the government and the individuals and what people can do. But can you, in a nutshell, just give us a brief concept of solutions that we can adapt at probably at all levels? Maybe you can just add some of the roles of the individuals and the community and the government in general. What should we do henceforth? What are the new things that we should think of? You've already mentioned education, which is also uh, very, very important. But what else could you think about? Okay, one, apart from the education, we have to look at our waste legislation and regulation. And we know waste management is heavily regulated. And when I say it's heavily regulated, it's backed by the government. So it starts with the government to make sure they are empowering all the ministries that are involved to make sure they are enforcing those regulations 
It's very, very important. If we have all the regulations on paper and we are not enforcing it, what is the point? So we have to have a robust regulation and enforcement. We have to also look at how we are going to involve the local authorities, AME, KME, because they are those organizations or agencies managing local waste. We have to make sure they have all the resources they need to provide waste management to the public. It's very, very important. If you come to the UK, you look at the community, the context of the community, how waste management works, let's say, in Bedford. It's somehow sometimes totally different from London because of the urban nature and rural nature of different locations. We have to also factor all this into place. Make sure we design or tailor a waste management to that community. Let's say, okay, fine, Abu Bulushi. I don't know if I've mentioned the name right. Yes. We want to provide the waste management for people in Abu Bulushi. It will be totally different from waste management to provide for people who live in East Lebanon or Trazako. One, th- one thing can never work for everywhere. So it's very, very important we consider all these elements. We also look at the public spaces. I was talking to a guy and he says he feels guilty that he always discards his waste whenever he's out there and about because there is no public waste bins to be used. We have to also look at it as well so that we provide a lot of waste bins at strategic places in the public for people to use. Because now we've touched on education. Now they understand waste as a resource. They understand that they have to discard their waste responsibly. Now we have to provide the infrastructures for them, strategic places, so that when people are out and about and they drink water, they know that there's a bin there for them to discard their waste. They won't throw it anyhow. They won't discard it anyhow. And we also, also look at the community. It's very, very important the community also play a part. We can have community champions because if we come to my estate here, we have community champions who make sure people don't litter anyhow. That's interesting. If you litter anyhow, yes, if you litter anyhow, they will come and knock at your door. <laughs> Especially if you take if you take your door your dog out and you don't take your dog poo, you should have a black bag always whenever you are out there with your dog. When they have a poo, you take it to your home or you use it. This put that dog beans that we. There's it they have provided or in the public they've provided in the community here because the enforcement agents they can't go everywhere to make sure they are enforcing the, the regulation. They can't go everywhere. So the community will come in to help to make sure people are responsible when it comes to managing their waste. It's very, 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 it's very, very important. We also look at now people educated, they understand now we have bins, etc., in place for them to use. So when the waste is Collector, what happens to it? Do we have a lot of waste management companies in place to help? Do we have it? We also have to look at it. Now, I know we have Zoom Lion, major player in Ghana, and we have other minor players in Ghana. And here, the government help, the government provide a lot of incentives for them to be able to do the right job. And the government also has to look at that to empower them, to help them with the resources, incentives for them also to do the right work, also give them contrast. We also have to look at businesses because we know the businesses, they also generate waste, commercial waste, trade waste. How are we developing waste management for them? We offer them also discard their waste responsibly. Then we look at the facilities to process this waste. I know the whole world, advanced country, we are moving away from landfill. We are all moving away from landfill because you understand the waste hierarchy and I know your agency, you are promoting it a lot, which is very, very good and continue doing it. But Ghana, at least we have to start from somewhere. Our landfill, is it designed to modern standards? 
that the waste that we are sending the one it's not appropriate to send organic waste to landfill because of leakage problem it's going to contaminate groundwater etc so you don't send organic waste to landfill but again i know once they say it's landfill they will take everything there so we have to look at it that we are designing a modern landfill that the landfill we are not going to send biodegradable waste to landfill no we will make sure we are sending the appropriate waste that can be managed at landfill and we have to also set up a lot of recycling facilities for the plastic waste that you made mention of earlier to make sure that we are processing the, our plastic waste appropriately so that it won't have impact on the environment. I know there are a lot of agencies that are organizing this, we call recycling banks, that the informal waste collectors, they collect plastics from the environment, they get paid and they take it to them for them to process it and sell it to manufacturers who, who use our secondary raw material. And those elements are also very, very, very important. So I think a lot of elements are in place. And the last one that I would touch on, we the people, we have to make sure those who are responsible for making sure our waste is managed, we have to hold them accountable that they are doing the right job. Other than that, they will just sit in their offices, write all the policies and all the regulations, and they will enforce it. And it's still the problem is going to be the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. And I also want to touch on flooding issues in Ghana. And I know now there are a lot of things going on now to make sure flood problems are reduced in Ghana, especially in Accra. And you know the problem, our drainage and how we build houses, how we erect structures, is very, very bad. Here, before you erect a structure or a building, it goes through a planning application. And I know Ghana, they have a planning application, but they don't have a proper system in place I was talking to a construction company and I asked them, now if they want to be, what are the process? He told me they would just get a permit and they will start the building. They don't look at the topography of the area. The zoning of the area. Excellent. To understand flood risk. Is the place flood risk free? Is the place contaminated? Can we create a, a drainage system for the place when the houses are being built? We don't have to look at all these things. Other than that, we can have open drainage, we can have all this, but still, if people are building on waterways, if people are erecting structures at the wrong places, you also have the problem. If you look, if you look at the Kuyapian Mountains now, it used to be a lot of green, a lot of forest, a lot of trees. And David, you being an expert, you understand the importance of trees. And being a slopey area, when it rains, what happens? Erosion, very good. The trees, what do they do? They help, they help absorb some of the water. They increase the rate of infiltration. So by the time the, the waters will travel from Ethiopian Mountain to Accra, most of them will be absorbed by a trees or exactly and the, and, the, and, the, and the land. But now they are cutting all of them and using the place for construction. So when it rains, it works to Accra. Exactly. So we have to look at all these things and it all starts from the source, the planning application. All those local authorities who are involved in issuing planning applications, they have to make sure all these boxes are being checked and they make sure they qualify before they issue the permit. You don't issue a permit for somebody to build and the person will start building and you go, stop working, AMA. What's the sense in all this? After the mess has already been created. <laughs> exactly. I remember 2014, I went to Ghana and I met a colleague and he was telling me he has been buying water for almost three years and I asked him why. He said, when the developer finished developing the area, they realized they can connect water to the area. Can we imagine? Can, David, can you imagine? So all those residents in that area, 
they have to buy water. If it was abroad, what would happen? If it, if it was abroad, what would happen? They will sue them. How can this happen? You are, you've, you've allocated or you've identified a certain area. You want to build a residential, you want to erect a residential building, it's fine. Before you even start building, <laughs> the process that it has to go through, you have to look at the topography of the area, you look at the water hydrology of the area, water movements, you look at how you are going to even drain a sewage system. You have to look at all this to make sure everything is in place before you start building. And this is the situation you've completed a building. Now you realize <laughs> you, can't, you can't connect water to the resident. These are some of the issues that we have to look at. So it's, it's a very big problem, but there is a solution to it. If we are willing, we are willing, starting from the government to all the people, everybody, we are willing to come together to make sure that we want to work together. Everybody will identify their unique responsibility and make sure they do what is necessary. If we start from now to probably say five to 10 years time, we'll be somewhere. Philip, within a split of five minutes, the things that you've talked about as mitigation solutions, these are very, very important things. And I think that um, we have achieved our goal uh, that we want to educate and and get people's mind to, you know, these kind of important things. I really hope that people listening to this podcast or this specific episode will really understand their, their role that they have to play in being part of the solution as well. And also we can hold people accountable. And one important thing that you, I liked about what you said was we have to localize these solutions because we are so keen to copying from the West, copying from Europe, copying from this, bringing machines without really doing feasibility studies and really thinking about it. Is it going to work in the system? There are so many things that are systems that are already existing there that are not working because it's not feasible. So I thank you so much for the things that you've talked about. I have one last question to ask you, and I want to get your thoughts on this, that from your experience and things that you have done and you know about our issues, if you have the chance to change, to just change one thing about our attitude towards the environment in Ghana, what would it be? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. And it's also a very difficult one. Our attitude towards the environment, if I have to change it, one thing, issue heavy fine. I like that. It's very interesting. Yeah, it will really help. It will really help, really. Thank you so much, Philip, for coming on the podcast today. I know it's weekend and you really made time for this. I mean, it's really worth having you today. And thank you so much for all the knowledge that you shared with us. I hope that we can engage another time uh, to talk about other areas of interest because I really think that you have a lot and you have a lot of experience to share. You have a lot of knowledge to share. And it's really important that we keep educating uh, our people and uh, the people around us, right? So thank you. I don't know if you have any last words or something that I missed, you can share. Okay, thank you, David, thank you very much for having me. I, I really like engaging and educating and sharing knowledge and experiences regarding environmental issues. So what I would say is now with where you are coming from and most of the things that you are doing, you've done a lot. And thankfully you are doing your PhD, which you will complete very soon. So I, I would like you to look back to our universities, the students. I've started engaging with them. And the motivation is very low. Some of them, their parents even don't understand why they are studying environmental science in place. And some of them, they call them Zoom Lion or Town Council. So the motivation is very bad. 
So even the course that they are doing, they don't even know why they are doing it. So imagine a student like that graduating. It will be very difficult for them to have an impact. So I know I've mentioned it to you earlier. So I'm happy to help. Let's try and go back. When I say go back, not to go practically back to the university, I find ways to engage with the students to motivate them now. The environment industry is a good area now. And they have to also help to change what is happening, what we are having and what we are seeing now in Ghana. So they need the motivation. So that's what I would say that at least do your best to help them, motivate them for them to know that they are doing the right and they should continue. Yeah, I think it's it's very important. And maybe we could actually sit down and plan an episode or probably a special webinar to send it to maybe the, the heads of departments to, you know, try and put students in a specific department. We can do it from university to university, maybe starting from KNUSD, have, you know, a webinar to train them of opportunities that are available, uh, things that you should engage in, try and build their interest. Maybe we can get some other people who are also very experienced in the, in the system or probably have good experience and where they have been able to go and the impacts they can make really because if people have mentorship i think that it actually encourages them and they can also look down on some of the criticisms that are there and i think it cuts across actually so i thank you so much for bringing this up and i think it's something that we can actually look into thank you very much david all right so thank you so much uh, philip hope to see you another time take care definitely david Thank you for having me. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Green Living Chats. Our goal here is to discuss emerging environmental issues and challenges and find possible solutions to educate the public. So why don't you get in touch with us on all our social media platforms at Ecoamet Solutions or visit our website www.ecoametsolutions.com and we'll be excited to hear from you and engage with you. Consider giving us a star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. See you on the next episode. Until then, live green.